What is going on, guys? We are in the zone. This is me, Chris Martelli, here with Anthony Pinello, Giancarlo Alino, episode 104 today. We're going to basically start it off. There have been a lot of rumblings the last couple of days. A certain player in New Orleans, um, the, the team has vocally, uh, they've addressed that they want to trade Drew Holiday at some point this offseason. Um, we all know that their main priority, at least this year, is to uh, re-sign Brandon Ingram. And we all know that that contract is not going to be small at all. It's probably going to be a maxed out contract. So with that being said, guys, I, I, I'll i list off maybe a couple teams where Drew Holiday can maybe go. There's there's rumors that he can maybe go to Philly. He can go to either L.A. team. He can go to Miami. Uh, he can go to even the, the Golden State Warriors. Out of all those teams, which destination do you think seems likely for Drew Holiday? Kick her off, bud. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to go with... Uh... I'm going to go with Brooklyn, actually, because I think they want to have a different dynamic. Uh, Kyrie Irving's there. A lot of people might think, oh, why would you get Drew Holiday? But I think it's a perfect match because then you can have Drew Holiday and Kyrie in the backcourt. Kevin Durant, you can manage his minutes a little bit. And then when he comes into the game, you can even make uh, Drew Holiday come off the bench and be like an impact player, uh, super sub, like a six-man type of role at times. So... In terms of like managing minutes around and having three solid guys that you can rely on, I think Drew Holiday would be a perfect fit in Brooklyn. And then come playoff time, I think uh, he would be a day-to-day starter and then get more minutes. So uh, keep their team fresh. Uh, I don't think you said this team, but I just thought of it now. I could picture him on Milwaukee. I just feel like if they get another, yeah, another star player with there to help Giannis out and that could really motivate him to sign another contract over there if they got a guy like Drew Holiday who could take away some of the responsibilities there. So a lot of places Drew could go. This guy has been a star in the league for so long. It's his time to shine now. Uh, I could see him on the Bucks. I'll go with that. My biggest question with, with the Bucks is what the return would be because we all know that, that they're, they're, their roster, like they're great. They finished first place, all that, but you know, you look at like the depth on their team. They don't really have that, at least the luxury that like Denver or Brooklyn or Miami has in order to get a trade, you know, done. Like you have Duncan Robinson who can be in a trade, Kendrick Nunn. And then you look at Milwaukee, like who is it? Like you have Bledsoe there. They, they're really desperately trying to get rid of him. I mean, you have Dante DiVincenzo. He's like a young 23-year-old, uh, he, he's, he's a pretty steady defender. I wouldn't say he's elite or anything like that, but, um, you know, I don't really know. Like, Pinello, you said Milwaukee, but, like, what what's the return there? Like, what's the return for Milwaukee? It starts exactly with DiVincenzo, probably another roster player, and honestly, like, two or three first-round picks because you, you nailed it right at the head there. They don't, they don't, they're not really deep. It's Giannis and uh, a few others, so... Yeah, with with all the teams you mentioned, there's a lot more to give. But uh, I just like the situation with Milwaukee. If they were to somehow manage a deal, then maybe Giannis could stay. But uh, DiVincenzo would be a nice starting piece, and then you fucking load up the draft picks there. Well, what do you guys think if if Drew Holiday were to maybe go to L.A., like the Lakers or the Clippers? Which which team do you think out of the two would have the better offer because we all know that the Clippers basically don't have a first round pick anymore. They're, they're done. Their, their picks are dry as hell, but they do have the roster players to move. And then you look at the Lakers and it's literally almost the opposite. They really don't have a lot of depth. 
we talk time and time again that they're probably going to be a completely different team next year other than like four, three or four players. So who, if, 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 if Drew Holiday were to go to an L.A. team, what do you think the return would be for either team and who has the better chance of landing him? Oh. Say, uh, I'll, I'll, go with the, I'll go with the Lakers. It's, it's basically the same thing as Milwaukee. I'm just going to repeat myself. They got LeBron and AD over there. I think if you're starting a trade, it's probably with Kyle Kuzma because no one really knows who the third <laughs> string is over there. So I guess you started around him throwing your first round picks. They're going to be first or second in the league. So, um, yeah, he would like, oh, my God, if they had a guard up there to go with, you know, one of the best power forwards in the league and then LeBron, that would just, wow, that would cap it off, wouldn't it? I don't know about uh, I don't know, the Lakers. You would have to trade Danny Green, uh, <laughs> Avery Bradley. Like, is that what the Pelicans really want? Another big contract? And then after you're looking at Ingram, like they already did them a solid the first time. Uh, I just keep uh, I, I'd keep them away from the Western Conference. Like you already gave them Anthony Davis. Uh, you don't want to strengthen your rivals too much, so. Even the Clippers, like Patrick Beverly, but I don't even think he'd be a good fit there. So I think out east is what they'll likely do as a way to just get them out the conference and make sure that you're not making teams too much better than you or else it's going to be a tougher chase for you come playoff time. They want to just balance everything out, uh, re-sign some of their young guys, and then be able to compete. Yeah, I agree with that. And, like, you also got to look at the, the team status too, like, the Clippers and Lakers all year were basically like neck and neck in the standings. But the, the big difference was, you know, the Clippers were this dominant defensive unit that you really could not beat when Kawhi and Paul George were like on. And then you look at the Lakers and it was AD and LeBron and, you know, it, it was, you know, showtime money Lakers where they would they would just embarrass you offensively and even defensively at times. You had Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, LeBron James, even Caruso at times. Avery Bradley like the Lakers to me this year were a very underrated defensive team and obviously it showed in the postseason that you know they that's why they won the chip they were complete they they never gave up um but here's here's the biggest and most intriguing team that I think could easily land Drew Holiday and I think it's the Denver Nuggets and if you think they were good last year if they were to get Drew Holiday I easily probably slate them in the number one number two uh, seed in the Western Conference. I mean, imagine Drew Holiday's defensive game aligned with Jamal Murray's offensive output and outburst last year, and you have the complete game in Nikola Jokic. I mean, that team, I think, would be absolutely outstanding. They would be probably one of the most beloved teams. They're, if not already, they're probably one of the most beloved teams in the league. But if Drew Holiday were to go to Denver, what do you what are what are the team's aspirations looking like for Denver if Drew Holiday goes there? Ooh, I think they're uh, I think they'll stay exactly where they are. <laughs> One of the I don't know if it'll put them over. Obviously, it'll, it'll improve their team, but there's just so many powerhouses in the West. That's those. You there, buddy? But uh, I think my uh, my main thing for them is would Michael Porter Jr. have to be involved in that? No, no, no. See, like the one thing with 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 Denver, at least if I'm if I'm their management, like there's like three, four, like the thing, the beauty of Denver, and they've gotten really lucky over the years, is 
the player development, like it's there and it's been there for a while now. So, you know, you talk about Drew Holiday, if he were to go there, you could easily get rid of Gary Harris's cap. I think he's, you know, around 20 million, which it's a lot, but he did deserve that contract because when he got that contract, he averaged around 18 and he shot, I think, 40 from three. So he did kind of earn that contract. But when you look at the team's agenda and the team's, you know, um, aspirations moving forward, like this is a team where they're one of the youngest teams in the league. And they have like Jokic is what, 25, Murray's 23, Porter Jr.'s 21. Like that's your core right there. If if teams are calling for for Michael Porter Jr., I'm hanging up the phone. If like I think this guy could easily be a top 20 player in the league, maybe in like two or three years. That's my ceiling with Porter Jr. Um, but I think the main the main trade bait, if Drew Holiday were to go to Denver, is Gary Harris and Bol Bol for sure. I think those two have probably the highest value, and I think they value Will Barton too much to trade him. So I would say Gary Harris and maybe Bol Bol and maybe a couple other players. Do you think that would be too much though? If they give like if they add too many of their roster players, do you think that might be? like depleting the roster too much to where yeah they'll be good with those three but then you look around the roster and they'll they won't have that kind of depth that let them get past the clippers and push the lakers a little bit well like you have to do that too right like especially with what we saw this year from denver like they're they're now a team that they were like Pinello has said it time and time again with teams like utah and like these other teams, like they will be there, but they won't really be mentioned as like the juggernauts in the league. I think Denver, if they were to get Drew Holiday, and even without Drew Holiday, I think they're like they're relatively floating around top five teams in the whole league. And I think Denver, I've been saying this maybe two years now. I think that it's it's win now. Like you have to go all in right now, or you know, like, especially in this situation, like, you don't find, like, backcourt guys like Drew Holiday, especially in, like, a sign in, or, a like, a like a trade and, and, you know, sign afterwards. But I don't really know, Alino, like, it, what do you mean by too much? You mean, like, Bull Bull, the first, and Gary, like, two roster players and a first? Yeah, and then after you're looking around and, like, you're not going to have that same depth off the bench because then you might have to trade another guy out to make room uh, if you drew holiday, depending on how much he has left on his deal, Jamal Murray's contract, get the extend him, Jokic, like you're going to put your team in a position after where it's going to be good maybe for the first year, but looking at the West and even the East, if you don't win, might not cause some trouble down the line. Yeah. Also in terms of like the team that's trying to get Drew holiday, I think you need to look at, so like new Orleans, they have Drew Holiday. They're going to try and trade him. If he goes to Denver, they don't need Jerian Grant. Like, they don't need Grant. And he was amazing because, you know, they have Zion and they have Jackson Hayes and they have all these young centers and these, you know, their front court is loaded, I think, at least. They don't need any more help. So if I'm if I'm New Orleans, I'm not asking for Grant, who had an absolutely amazing playoffs. I'm probably asking for maybe Bol Bol. Like, even though he's a center, he could probably play the three, which is hilarious to see. But, like, that's just how the like the league is becoming. Like, everyone can basically guard and play any position. But Gary Harris, to me, is the guy, like, if I'm... Like, okay, like they have J.J. Redick, but I don't know if J.J. Redick can be doing, 
what he's been doing for another like two, three, four more years. Like Gary Harris, I think he's an underrated target for any team. Like if I'm if I'm a team out there that needs three point shooting and they're looking like like you just said, they need to sign Jamal Murray at some point. They need to start looking at like Porter Jr.'s contract in the long term. So Denver is openly, I'm already going to call this, they're openly going to trade Gary Harris. And if I'm the Pelicans and you see maybe J.J. Redick start to decline maybe in production, that, that could be a home run right there for, for the Pelicans if they were to get a Gary Harris. He can be that three-point marksman with Lonzo Ball's playmaking, Zion's dominance, and then Ingram's all-around game. Like that's that, I think the shoe fits perfectly. So I, you know what? We we both you know you guys kind of said the Bucks and Brooklyn. I think Denver is probably the perfect fit for Drew Holiday. But nothing to add to that, so we will keep moving on. We got okay. This is a tough one. We've we've talked about this numerous times before. Freddie Van Fleet. He's a free agent. The Raptors. There haven't really been a lot of talks that at least that I've heard of. Now the teams that really are eyeing him the most are the Pistons and the New York Knicks, and they're looking to offer him relatively 5 to $6 million more than the Toronto Raptors. So this is the question I have to ask both of you guys. I guess I'll start with Pinello. If you are the Knicks and Pistons, are you going all in for Fred Van Fleet? And if you're Fred Van Fleet and you're looking at these organizations, are you taking the higher salary with the shittier team, or are you going with the hometown discount in Toronto? If I'm the first, if I'm the Knicks or the Pistons, yeah, I'll probably give Freddie Van Fleet whatever he asks for, twenty to twenty-five mil. I think most people assume. Uh, Freddie, it's a weird situation. You know, I think most people love Freddie Van Fleet around the league, undrafted player, small guy, came in, worked hard, and then won a championship in his like his third year or something. So. I, I don't really, I could see him going to a lesser team and taking more money and then being one of the main uh, focal points over there. I don't remember what pod it was, but I said him to Detroit. Might have been like a month ago or something. But um, Nick's not surprised. They'll break bank for pretty much anyone at this point. With D. Rose probably bouncing, uh, yeah, I think I could see Freddie Van Fleet on the, on the Pistons for sure. Yeah, if I'm the Knicks, I guess you have to just to say, oh, we got one free agent one year. We hit on one guy, but fuck, like if I'm the Raptors, I'm not paying him $25 million. No way in hell. Like that means he's coming into Masai's office and saying, I want uh, close to what Kyle Lowry's getting. Uh, I believe I'm the second most important player on this team. I don't see that. So that's when I say, okay, go bet on yourself. Thanks for winning a championship. Uh, all the best in your career. It's going to be elsewhere. And I'd go after Montres Harrell from the Raptors. And, yeah, like Ben Vliet, he can go to the Knicks. He can go to the Pistons. But enjoy rebuilding again. So you're starting back from scratch. But at least you're going to get paid for it. So good for him. Yeah, I mean, we, we both love the story of Fred Van Fleet. Like, we all, we all like, understand that how hard that story is to overcome. You go from undrafted to, you know, just absolutely slowly climbing the ranks year after year and improving your game. And we saw that with Fred Van Fleet two years ago, you know, what he did in the finals. Like, game, I think it was game two on or game three on was just ridiculous. I think he shot, like, or no, was it from the Bucks series on? I think it was from the Bucks series on. He shot, like... 61% from three. He was just ridiculously hot. Um, but I guess I'll ask Pinello this question because you said the Pistons. I mean, like, you got to look at 
the team structure here. Like the Pistons are probably when I look at like team structure, they're probably the team that is at the lowest of the they're at the bottom of the barrel for me. I mean, I look at the team, I look at everything that they have, and it's like, okay, you have a hole in almost every single position. Like Blake Griffin's probably on the way out. Like he's a great player to have, but that contract is a burden for sure. Like the guys that they just drafted, like they're great. I think Dumboya could be absolutely amazing. It's just he's a project, and I think he he's gonna probably be like floating around like fifteen plus minutes for maybe another two years. Christian Wood is another guy. He's a free agent. I don't know if he's gonna resign in in Detroit. He, he's kind of like a Fred Van Fleet, where it's like I'm either gonna go all in here and stay in Detroit and get that eighty million dollar contract, or I'm probably gonna walk, maybe get a two year bridge deal with a contender. So. My question to you, Pinello, is, you know, you said Fred Van Fleet goes to Detroit. What the hell does that mean for Derrick Rose? <laughs> Probably uh, you look at the top five, ten teams in the league, and then hopefully he goes to one of them, comes off the bench, and then hopefully wins a championship. He's been linked to the Lakers for I don't know how long now. Uh, if Rondo's going to possibly leave uh, L.A., maybe D. Rose can go to the Lakers. Fred Van Fleet can take his spot. And then uh, everyone's kind of happy, I guess. Uh, if I'm Derek Rose, I'm staying far, far away from LeBron because we saw how that worked out in <laughs> Cleveland. Uh, I'm saying no, uh, I'm not going there. If I'm him, stay in the East, Milwaukee, Toronto, uh, Brooklyn even. I think he'd actually be a good fit on Brooklyn, just the way he plays. And even if he doesn't have to be the explosive guy, like coming off for five minutes and trying to get all these layups, he can – be a good playmaker, I think. And you can even move Kyrie to shooting guard, uh, Durant, put him in the post, and I think you can spread everyone out like that. But if they get Drew Holiday, I don't see him going there. So probably Milwaukee would probably be the best fit if you're Derrick Rose. Yeah, I agree there. Um, I, I really like what you guys said there. I think Derrick Rose, regardless, I think this is now a point in his career where Kind of like what you guys have said about DeMar DeRozan. It's like he's kind of been like a number one, number two option. I'd say, okay, well, DeMar has been a more of a number one option than D. Rose in his career. But D. Rose, I think, is now at that point where he's looking around and he's like, you know what? Like the last three years I've been on the Timberwolves, I've been on the Cavs, and I've been on the Pistons. And like I've re- I found my mojo again, and I need that opportunity with a contender. And I think this is the t- this is the time now where – I think the Pistons, they're going to accept that fate and they're going to really respect D. Rose's decision and be like, okay, you know what? Your trade value probably isn't as high as we want it to be, but you know what? Maybe we'll trade you for a, a decent roster player and like a second round pick. Um, if, if D. Rose were to go to the Lakers, I think that's one of the most beloved teams of all time, at least in my eyes, like LeBron James and D. Rose. Like these are guys that like I grew up idolizing from a very young age. So that would be absolutely monumental. That'd be huge. But moving on, uh, we got to quickly discuss Bogdan Bogdanovich. He's 28 years old now um, with with the Sacramento Kings. He's never really had a usage rate higher than like 24, which basically means, if you guys don't understand, that means he's basically like the 4 or 5 option. Doesn't really get that much ball time. But with this being said, like Buddy Heald, De'Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley—they're all relatively coming up at the same time. Do you trade a boy? Do you trade a guy like a Bogdanovich, or do you try and uh, sign this guy to four years to maybe um, help improve that bench depth in Sacramento? 
stated, but they have depth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if uh, yeah, like Sacramento is in a weird position. Like Buddy Heald, Darren Fox, you would think right now they'd be in a playoffs. Uh, ever since DeMarcus Cousins uh, got dealt, that was supposed to be the turning point for them. They had Vince Carter, uh, Zach Randolph. They were like the veterans to help everyone move along. It looked like it was going to work. And then for whatever reason, just typical Sacramento, it doesn't. Uh, so this is going to be a big year for them. They have to make the playoffs, I think. Or if they don't make it, at least come in ninth, like get close within two games because... I think the league's even running out of patience with them. Like, there's so many teams in California where, like, Sacramento, they're looking at, they have all these owners and their ownership group. I think Shaq's one of the guys there. And I think they should just look around the league and say, that could be a team that you can relocate. So if I'm their ownership group and fan base, I'd hope that they're serious about winning or the league's just going to say, okay, we'll try this somewhere else. Maybe in another uh, city we'll embrace them and they can win something. You guys know the last time they made the playoffs, real quick? Probably when Chris Webber played. Oh, my God. Okay, so if I'm that team, other than De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald, everyone's available. But um, honestly, when you pitched the question, it wasn't even a concern if he was going to re-sign there. Uh, you said, should they keep him? And I immediately pictured the 76ers. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Well, well, no, I, I agree with that there, just because of the whole shooting dynamic and the shooting narrative in Philly. Just they haven't had it for a year now, so I think Bogdan, any shooter, would be a great fit in Philly, and Bogdanovich, I think, would be a good fit there. Um, but I don't know; like, it's tough to to tell with with Sacramento. Like, I think Bagley will be great. I don't think he'll be like outstanding. I think he'll just be great there's something wrong in Sacramento. Like, I feel like they're cursed when they draft the big guy. Like they never, it never pans out and, and and it sucks. And another team that's similar to that is the 76ers other than Joel Embiid because they had Okafor and Noel. They just drafted a shit ton of guys and none of them panned out. Um, But let's, let's move on now. I'll just quickly talk now here about the Washington Wizards. Bradley Beal and John Wall are going to be healthy next season. And, a big guy that was actually huge for them last year was Davis Bertans. They were there were rumors that they were going to trade him at the trade deadline. Now with John Wall coming back, do you guys believe that that's now an anomaly? And do you think that um, the Wizards are confident going into next season as a playoff uh, as a playoff team? I uh, you know what I think they are. A lot of people of uh, it's mixed opinions. Most pe- most things you hear, they write John Wall off. I still think he's fucking amazing. Uh, the guy's 29 years old. He's been rocked with injuries, obviously. It's like it's like stamp goes. It's like you'll have a year and then a gap year, and then you'll play the full year and then get hurt again. But, like, well, once him and Beal come back, that's one of the best backcourts in the league right away again. And then you can move Bird Tons down the lineup a little bit. Uh, you could, you know, the Latvian sniper, the Latvian laser, whatever his nickname is. They got some guys over there. I, I feel like they can confidently make the playoffs. That's their mindset, but it'll still be a bit of a struggle, like a 7-10 to 10 kind of team. But with Wall back there, yeah, they're, they're right back in the mix, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think Wall, like, he's not over the hill, I don't think. Like, I still think he can contribute. I think a lot of people write him off just because they see the number he's making on his contract. It's a big figure, so everyone's saying, okay, you're not living up to that. You don't have four championships by now, and multiple MVPs so they write them off but I think this is probably the, this whole pandemic's probably been the best case scenario for a guy like him because 
right now you would probably be starting the NBA season. So he probably have ramped up maybe his recovery in August and probably rush things and get injured probably the second or third week in just because he rushed his body back. So uh, now he can actually take his time. He hasn't played a lo- probably the whole calendar year, really. And now you go in, I'd probably, even if they start this season, like they're saying in December, I would still keep him out until second week of January, just as a precaution. And then when he comes back 100%, you can get ready to go. Maybe build uh, some momentum with Beal, uh, and then have Wall back in the lineup like that. Yeah, you know what? I really agree with that. I think John Wall, like when me and Pinello talked about this, I think it was two days ago. Like he can be a top five point guard coming back right away. Like he can come back and he can be he could surpass guys like Simmons and like Walker and Paul and all those guys that we talked about in our list. I don't know if he'll be like as explosive as electric, but I think the loyalty and just just his presence, I think, is definitely going to change the dynamic of Washington. Now, no, make no mistake about it. Bradley Beal, he had a hell of a year, but he's not going to average. I don't think he's going to average 30 again. I don't think that's a possibility. I just don't see it happening now, especially with Bertans on the team. If he stays, John Wall coming back should average about 19. So Bradley Beal, I think, will average around 25, but that's – that's a that's that's about in his ballpark. I think thirty is he overachieved hard last year, and um, but with that being said, I do agree with you guys. I think I think Washington has been a team for maybe two three years. They've kind of been like oh like like a lot of NBA fans have been like oh let's let's just forget about Washington. Like they're not they're never going to really amount to anything. And now this is where it's a phase in their franchise's history where it's like well. We have Bradley Beal, who just averaged 30 points a game. We have Davis Bertans, who shot 44 from three. And now we got our franchise loyal point guard and John Wall back. So I like I like Washington. I, I can maybe even see them as high as six next year in, in the Eastern Conference. So um, we'll keep we'll keep an, an eye on the Wizards, especially going into next season. But I want to quickly talk here now. Who is going to play the sign and trade game? There's not a lot of guys that are available at least like of the level of like what Jimmy Butler was in 2019. But guys, there's three big names that I want to just put out there. They're not really big, but they are pretty relatively important players. Josh Richardson on the Philadelphia 76ers, Gallinari and Tristan Thompson. So out of those three guys, which guy do you think is the most likely to sign and trade and which team do you think would be the best fit? Boom. Take it. Yeah, uh, it's a tough. Uh, probably Gallinari might be a surprise to some, but I would still take Gallinari, uh, even on the Raptors. But it would just depend on what they will want back. Like you have to be realistic too with a guy like that. Uh, if he's gonna leave anyways, maybe a second round pick or maybe um, a guy who's not even playing so many minutes uh, that you can bring in someone uh, off the Raptors nine hundred five even. Uh, but I, I wouldn't go too crazy. I think Tristan Thompson would probably want a bigger deal because he has a championship in his time with Cleveland. But I just don't think he's a fit on a lot of teams. It just, I think his role, what he wants, is not what anybody wants to give him. So you're probably looking at if he's going to take that kind of money, the Knicks. So that's his best option. Me and this guy. When back, like we didn't agree on one thing this entire podcast. I swear to God, I was going to say Gallinari and then to the Raptors. 
He's, he's, just, he's been bouncing around every three, four year with the Knicks and then going to Denver and the Clippers and OKC. He's been putting up numbers his entire career. He hasn't really found a home for long. I think with the Raptors, with Gasol leaving, you could maybe put him in that four spot there. Put Serge back in the five. I think that would be solid setup. So where do you have Gallinari as like a seventh option? <laughs> no, no. Can you play small uh, four? You could play small forward. Yeah, start him there. So what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean for OG then? Oh, OG's coming off the bench. Six all good. I meant to say Pascal in the four, Serge in the five, and then, uh, yeah, Danilo in the the three spot there. Damn. I mean, Gallinari is basically everything Bargnani was supposed to be. (laughs) You know what? Bargnani would be ripping up the league right now. I don't care what anyone says. Put him on yeah, Golden he, State, averaging thirty. Yeah, he he'd he'd be putting up like probably what JV's doing, maybe a little less rebounds. Probably be doing something like that. He averaged like fucking five or six in his career. Guy was seven feet. <laughs> so here's the thing. Now, um, I want to quickly talk a little more free agent and off season stuff, like. Will Miami surprise us next year? Because this off season, it could be simple. Like they have Crowder and Dragic, who are both free agents, and I think they're both huge pieces for that team. Um, and then, of course, you need to reach an extension for Bam out of bio. So, do you think Miami could surprise us and deal one of those guys, or do you think their best interest is to sign all three of them? Maybe Crowder and Dragic to maybe a uh, maybe a little more of a discount. Who are, the, who are the names? Bam, Dragic, and who? Bam, Dragic, and Crowder. Oh, well, you know who's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, his name's Bam out of Bayo. Crowder was... Uh, I would try to hold on to Crowder. That was very... Like, when they got Igudala and no one really noticed Crowder in the trade, I'm like, this guy's been putting up numbers in Boston for the last five years, and no one's really talking about him. So that was a solid get for the Heat. Um, I think Dragic would be the odd one out and then just continued. Uh, I think we said a little while ago, a guy like Chris Paul and I guess like Drew Holiday could go there since that came out this morning. But uh, I think we'll try to up, uh, upgrade their point guard position and then I guess Bam and Buddy will stay on the heat. Yeah, I think, I don't know, with Bam though, it could be something interesting to look at. Like, what if they want to do something different? If they miss out on Giannis for whatever reason, uh, do they go to Houston and try to get James Harden? Or do they go to Philly, try to get Embiid, and try to work something out? Because I think Bam Adebayo would be uh, probably the guy that you put in a package to land one of those two. So if they're going to trade Bam, I think it would only be for an elite superstar coming back. If they trade Bam, I think they're they're nuts. I, I think that's like the one guy I'm not trading out of any player on that team. Like you have Hero, Adebayo, Butler. Like those are the three that I'm circling that I am not moving. But if I had to move one of those three, it's probably, believe it or not, it's probably Jimmy Butler out of those three. So, I mean, Hero is obviously the probably the most attractive piece out of all three of them just based off of his age. I think he's only 19 or 20 years old. But Bam Adebayo is only 22, and what he's put up this year is superstar numbers. And he's only 22. I think 
at some point in time, if he hasn't already, he's going to be better than Carl Anthony Towns in the center spot. I think he might already be. So you're looking at a top top three, top four, top five center in the league at 22 years old. Like that doesn't come as quick as it seems anymore. So I think Bam Adebayo is an untouchable. I don't see the Heat trading him. But in terms of like Harden and Drew Holiday and Chris Paul, like if that's if that's their number one, um, if that's like the number one thing on their agenda, I think that's a flat out big mistake. I think the number one thing on their agenda should be re-signing Bam Adebayo, seeing what cap space they have for next year, and then you try and get the home run selection in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Because, you know what, Kendrick Nunn is still 24 years old, and I think he's got a lot to prove in this league. So I, I really think that Dragic and Nunn is a great pairing. I don't think they should really screw that up. But, well, I guess we got to wait and see with that. But there's a lot of intriguing ideas for Miami, for sure. But uh, we got to go now. We talked about this last week, like very, very briefly or two weeks ago about Atlanta. And we talked about their starting five. And if they were like, let's say if they were to get a DeMar DeRozan, that could propel them maybe to the playoffs when you look at their starting five. Um, You know, there's a lot of rumors saying that they're going to go out and try and get Gallinari, um, even maybe a Gary Harris or a Justin Holiday, or even maybe a a Jeremy Grant um, out of all these guys that I just mentioned, so Grant, Holiday, not 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 Drew Holiday, Justin Holiday, Caldwell Pope, and Gallinari, which guy do you think is the best fit for Atlanta, and which do you think is the most reasonable option? Oh well, best fits probably Gallinari if you look at their three and four positions on Atlanta. Um, Mainly the three. With Vince leaving now and no one knows about Cam Reddish and Kevin Herter, that's an obvious upgrade. They're, they're still a very young team, but if you put Gallinari on that team with Trey and, and Collins and Capella, I think it uh, yeah, definitely messes some things up for other teams. Yeah, I'd go Gallinari too. Like You don't have to go too crazy. Like I know like DeMar is going to be attractive for them to pick up, but realistically, Atlanta is looking at a team that maybe can get in, but I don't think there's a team that can contend, like, with Miami, especially even Philly, like, they get a bad rap, but if they do that trade, uh, Embiid or Simmons, and they get James Harden into the East, he's going to have more room because the way that these Eastern Conference teams play, Milwaukee's going to come back with Giannis. They had the best record last year up until whatever happened in the bubble. I don't know what the hell they were doing, but they're going to be focused again, and the Raptors are going to be up there, so... If you were to add a guy like uh, DeRozan and Caldwell Pope, like you're probably going to overspend on those guys. I think you can get a reasonable offer for Gallinari. Yeah, I agree there. I think Gallinari, as long as he can play the three for Atlanta, that would be a perfect fit because I'm not messing with Collins and Capella in the front court. That's absolutely ball dominant, and that's terrifying. Um, but now I guess I'll, I'll kind of just maybe – I guess this is where I'll start talking a little more about the draft. I mean, like Charlotte, they need talent. They need it everywhere. They need they need a point guard. They need a shooting guard. They need a center. Um, do you think that this team is really sold on Rozier and Graham as the backcourt for the future? Graham, yes. Rozier, no. Okay, Man. so with that with that being said, like what what do you do if you're Charlotte with Rozier? Because like he's 25 now 
and he's shown signs of like he could be a starter in the league, but I don't know if he can be that consistent producing like point guard in the in in on a team. I I don't know. I like I saw the stats this year. I think he averaged what it was like. 18, three and five or something like that. Like he could put up numbers like that, but I don't know if I'm going to keep a guy like a Terry Rozier as a guy for my backcourt for five plus years. So with that being said, I think there's a lot of questions that are being asked and um, for the draft, like do they go with Wiseman at three? Do they go with LaMelo ball? Do they go with Anthony Edwards? Any of those three are going to fall to the Hornets but I've also seen rumors that they might even go after Avija or um, a Conwu. So I really have no idea what Charlotte's going to do. But if you just like, I don't know, do you guys trade Rozier? Like, I, I really have no idea what to expect if they were to get an Edwards or a LaMelo ball. If they, if, oh, if they got LaMelo, maybe. But um, the guy's got two years left on his deal, right? When When he first signed it. Yeah, Rozier has another two or three years left. Like, if you're Charlotte, I don't. What's the rush? Like, they're not they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Even if they do improve, they're not coming out of the bottom ten. I just I look at Devontae Graham. That guy is special. I think he's their number one player going forward. Rozier is very talented, but like, I don't know if they got a like ball specifically. If they drop to him to the three spot, then I don't know. Maybe you got to work something out. But I'm not kicking him out the door just yet. <laughs> Yeah, if I'm MJ, you know what? I think it's time no more fucking around with him. I think he needs to be more hands-on with his team. Because uh, you would think the greatest player to play the game should be like a wizard in the office. Like he would have the best guys, top to bottom in the organization, uh, best development, best guys. Like even just drawing in free agents. You haven't even seen, like when was the last time a superstar looked at Charlotte and be like, you know what? I'm going to play for MJ. If he calls me, I'll, I'm not going to go to LA. I want to go play for the GOAT. And then you see no one. Kemba Walker went out the door. Uh, they got Rozier back, so I just think he was a fill-in in case uh, they get something out of him. He's young. They hoped maybe he has some promise. He's cheaper. So if I, anything, I'm trading Rozier, getting some more uh, depth, maybe another center to come off the bench. Uh, another shooting guard, and then going after LaMelo Ball. I think that's a guy that can really change a team. And going with everything uh, LeVar and MJ have been going back and forth on, I would just have MJ every single day at practice watching LaMelo, uh, giving him tips, maybe even playing him one-on-one, get a competitive edge out of him right away uh, because that can be the franchise guy for your team and get MJ that seventh ring as an owner. I, uh, I, I, I like that. I, I, you know what would be crazy for, for me? If, if I'm Charlotte, I'm probably going and I'm getting James Wiseman at number three. I think that's the, the home run right there. He, he can be your center for, for the next 10-plus years. But here's another intriguing name that I actually thought of. If they don't go at Wiseman, I can see them going all in with Harold. I could just see them going in and saying, hey, Harold, we're going to give you like $28 million dollars. And, and we're going to just roll with you for the next 10 years. I don't know why. I, I just see Harold go in there. I think it's a logical, it's a logical fit. I, like they, they, like I've, I said this to Pidello, like you look at their centers the last like seven years and Sorry. it's just terrible. Like Cody Zeller, Bayombo, 
like t- like just not good enough. Like they've had Hernan Go- Willie Hernan Gomez, Kaminsky. Like these guys have just not panned out for this team. So I think this is fine. Like like you said with MJ, I think it's finally going to get to that point where management is going to look at this team and say, okay, you know what? We drafted Miles Bridges at the three. We've drafted Washington at the four. We got uh, Graham at the one or the two, and Monk at the two as well. This is where we need to get the home run pick here in either Wiseman or we need to go out. We need to get Anthony Edwards at the three and then we can go out in, in free agency and get a Harrell. And then at that point, that's where you start comparing Charlotte with maybe the the teams like Washington and the teams like Orlando where they can finally potentially make the damn playoffs for MJ for God's sake. And maybe we could see a little bit more competitive basketball in, in the East because I really want to see Charlotte like finally do something because they've been in limbo for so many years and we just talked about Sacramento missing on picks how about Charlotte they have not had a great pick in so so long so this is why I hope PJ Washington pans out I think he had a great rookie year but other than that they are not looking good so that's my prediction I think if they don't take Wiseman I think they're going to go all in for Harrell uh, in free agency but um, with that being said I guess we're going to move on now. We're going to move on to the to to the rink, to the NHL. Uh, a couple guys got signed the last couple days. I'll start off with Ryan Strom today. He got a two-year, $4.5 million contract from the New York Rangers. He is actually coming off a career year this year, at least in points per game. Do you think this was a right move for the Rangers, or do you think he maybe should have gotten a little less? Uh, for the Rangers, I think it's fine. It's just um, I don't know if the money is a huge deal. It's it's only two years. I think this is the Rangers buying time until they have to fucking get Kako and um, Lafreniere signed. So they got a nice skilled uh, player in his mid twenties. Who's I don't know. There's so many questions about Strom. Though he's been on and off, but he was on last year. So let's go here, bud. Yeah, like, I just see this as a move for the Rangers perfectly. Exposes them in the expansion draft, then Seattle will look at his numbers. Even if he has a bad year this year, they'll be like, well, he had a career year two years ago, and I think that's a guy they'll take. So for the Rangers, I think this was smart. Clears cap for next year, and depending on what the salary situation is like in the free agent market, I think uh, they opened up a lot of flexibility with this. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the one thing that actually kind of upset me, maybe not upset me, but kind of I questioned, you know, what they were doing was, of course, other than the Truba contract, because that's one of the worst in the in the game. No offense to him, but like eight million dollars for Truba is just, I think that's a crime. I don't think like there's a lot of D in this league that are getting overpaid, and like we don't talk about them. And it's a, it's a shame to say, but Pinello, I think Morrissey's getting overpaid. Like I think. What he's getting right now is ridiculous. I think he's at like I think he's at like six point two five or six point four or something like that. I think that's I think that's a little too much for him. Um, but yeah, like you're looking at Lafreniere and Kako in two years, like and they got lucky with Kako's first year because it was basically a wash. But I think Lafreniere, like he's gonna probably be a type of guy after his rookie deal. You're probably looking at a like minimum eight mil. So they're going to have to definitely juggle some some cap. But I, I think four and a half for Strom is too much, especially if 
you know, he's going to be a second, third line center. Like we all know that Kevin Hayes' deal is a lot worse than this one, but still, I think Ryan Strom getting four and a half is, I think that's a little too much. But uh, moving on, we got the Islanders. They locked up their number. I guess he's their number one defenseman for now. For two years, five mil per. Like I said last week or two weeks ago, I thought he would get the the Zach Wierenski treatment, and he kind of did. What were your guys' thoughts on this? Do you guys think the term is too short, um, or do you agree with the the bridge deal for Ryan Pulak? I think last year, anyways, we said like two or three years, even four would still technically be a bridge, but... Yeah, I would have given him the extra year. Either way, uh, I don't think this guy's going to go anywhere. Even when the two years is up, he's going to sign a long-term deal. Uh, this is their guy for the future. Kid's, what, 25 years old still? So I don't think anyone's worried about him. He's been a solid player. And, uh, yeah, Islander's got a beauty there. Is that Ryan Pulak, though? Or? Yeah, yeah. First, so first contract, like, I could see it being something where they might have to move depending on Barzell. Uh, it's unfortunate, but if you're looking around at their blue line, that's probably like the only one you can get the best return for. Uh, you don't have to take in a bad contract for like two years. So it's unfortunate, but I think Pulak might be uh, a guy they have to consider looking at offers for. Yeah, I mean, at that point, it just depends how great Dobson becomes. Like, if Dobson can become like a Makar or or like a, a poor man's Quinn Hughes, then, yeah, maybe that's where they start realizing, okay, like, Pulak's great. His defensive game is not polished yet. He's more of that offensive power play quarterback. But for now, I, I think that's, yeah, that's where they have to make that decision, I think, in a year or two, where it's like, okay, it's either Dobson or Pulak who will be the, the offensive power play quarterback and right now it's Pulak he's got a deadly shot but I, I think Dobson has that skill and he he has he kind of resembles a Quinn Hughes and and you know like that that modern type defenseman where he's very skilled and very agile but yeah I do agree there I think Pulak if he doesn't have a really good year I think next year I think that's where they're gonna kind of look at him and be like oh are you really gonna be worth like seven mil for six years like I don't really see it so I think at this point in time, the Islanders, they signed the bridge deal two years. I think they're not really sure yet on Ryan Pulak. So um, I think it's the wait and see game. And I, the Islanders, I think, are just playing it safe as well to sign Barzell. But that's we're going to maybe talk about that a little later on. But the Red Wings, they get their left winger. They get him locked up for four years, $22.8 million. Uh, that's the contract. Um, what were your guys' thoughts on this? I thought Manta actually probably would have got a little bit uh, of a longer term. Um, but he is 26. So, what are your guys' initial thoughts on Manta getting the four-year contract from Detroit? Take it, bud. I'm surprised the cap it was that low. Like, you would think that he would ask for way more. Uh, looking at all the star players in the league, what they're getting, and he kind of took a contract that's like a bridge deal. But he's actually proven himself. Him and Larkin. Even though they had bad years on a bad team, I think the way they were progressing is somewhere in that all-star range. They got potential to change Detroit around, but it might take a little longer. But those two guys could be cornerstones of a team. I think Manta is a a real team-friendly deal. And maybe if Detroit wants to fast-track a rebuild, maybe they trade Manta because his cap is actually looking pretty good. And I'd say that they will about halfway through that contract. But uh, 
just, yeah, for him, like not even the team, just for him, 26 years old and what he's produced already, like this is a solid deal for him. Him and Larkin, like you said, they've really grown together. Uh, they came into the league that Detroit was still, like they were on the downhill, but they were still all right. And now they've just completely fallen off over the last few years. So over the next four years for Detroit, we'll see where the team's at. But for Manta, he, he should be good for like a 30 and 30 guy for basing it off a 82 game season. So you guys said you would like you think Matt. So you guys are anticipating Matt to get to get traded. Well, why do why do you think that is? Is that because of guys like Zadina coming up and and uh, and and that's it. Well, again, I'm pretty sure Dylan Larkin is signed lock. I think he's locked up. I think he's at what like six point six mil, six point four. Is that something like that? So yeah. So I, like, uh, yeah, I guess the team's in a similar situation. Like they got a lot of young guys. Like if Zed- even if Zadina does become a star and pushes him out, I'm just more in the sense like if they're still not making the playoffs through his entire contract, like. I think Manta at that point will be like, okay, I'm 28, 29, pushing 30 years old. Like, maybe send me to a fucking championship team at this point. So he's he's obviously like he's a great player, he's a talented guy, but with the situation they're in, if they don't progress a whole lot in the next four years, I could see them uh, trading him towards the end of his contract. Well, I, I guess then it's safe to say that probably Larkin will be in the same boat because I think he signed the longer term and he's looked at as the the, the captain of the team and the most important piece for this organization. So I, I think it's safe to say that Manta is probably the second most important, at least right now. I mean, if he's not the second, he's probably the third. But other than that, like, I, I'm even looking at their prospect pool and, and it's not like that impressive. Like, like there's a couple guys like Moritz Sider apparently is like turning heads at least the last year or so. So if he can like really pan out and be like a high skin in for, for the Red Wings, then that's a problem already. And then, of course, you have, you know, Larkin and Manta. Uh, um, you know, offensively, they're very gifted. They can get generate around 60 points. But, I, like, guys like Manta, I don't think they come around that often. And I feel like he's looking at himself and saying, you know what? Like, I'm six foot four, six foot five. Like, the speed is definitely going to take a toll on me, at least down the line. But he's a he's a deadly power forward, uh, Matt. I think he can get you thirty goals almost every year, um, and and I think that this was an absolute win for the Red Wings. I think you know getting him under six million is huge um, for them. So I'm happy for that contract for both of them. But another guy that I quickly want to talk about, Michael Hutchinson. You know he signed with the Leafs on October thirtieth, one point four five million dollars. What does that mean for the Leafs? Because like. They have Hutch, they have Campbell, they have Anderson. Like what like is is Hutch like you're paying him 1.45 million dollars for 2 years, so that's under a mil a year. It's is it safe to say that Hutch is our third option? Well, oh, fuck, we got Aaron Dell too. That, yeah, like that's what I mean. Like we have four uh, four pretty good goalies there. I don't even I, I just I look at Seattle. That's my only answer because you got Freddie there. He's going to lock it up. I assume Campbell's the fucking backup. I'm taking Campbell out of all those guys, especially like he was solid for us backing up. And then even the year before in LA, I thought he really came a long way. So that's my duo right there with Hutch and with Adele. I actually have no fucking idea what they're going to do. Everything just circles to the expansion draft. Yeah, I don't see him being a long-term. Uh, nice Marley starter. 
Maybe uh, gets him a Calder, gets a nice uh, championship out of it. Third string goalie in case Campbell gets hurt. Uh, I don't see him really being a starter or looked at that in that role. Similar to his last situation, emergency goalie to come in and play like two or three games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Um, I'm not surprised with that. Moving on, though, I, w- I want to still talk about hockey, but I want to talk about three major injuries, and that's Bishop, Sagan, and Nyquist all out five months minimum. What is Okay, I guess I'll start with Dallas because this is a team where, like, they the last two years they basically went, well, they went to the Stanley Cup final last year, but the year before that they were they were one goal away from going to the Stanley Cup finals. So now with Bishop and Sagan out long term, what do you think the expectation is, first of all, for Dallas next season? And what do you think is next for the veterans like Jamie Benn, Pavelski, Perry, like these guys? Because they're all well over. Well, I think Ben now is, what, 30 or 31? Like these guys are now in their 30s. So what do you think is next? Like do you, like, do you see Dallas like going in a rebuild in like two, three years? <laughs> oh, man. I really want to say yeah, but with guys like Heiskanen and Klingberg and I, it's just and Gurianov, like they're still kind of they're like there's tweener teams. They got a mix of everything, but um, I still expect them to make the playoffs. I don't really know what after that. I don't see them going to the finals again. I don't think they're going to have a run like they did this year. Uh, Ben's contract's a little fucking iffy, so I don't know if he's going to be moving on. No one knows about Russians. They can sign anywhere at any time. But um, I think, yeah, I think the Stars would be a borderline playoff team, honestly. And then Hadobin got the three-year um, contract, so I guess he's going to be right into that starter position again. So um, I had it, I had it written down before. I think I had, because um, you said Sagan, I had Mikhail Grenland possibly signing there just for another body. Because for some reason, he's still available, and he's been a good player for a while, so... Dallas uh, players are dropping like flies over there. They should sign Grandland, but uh, they should still be competitive next year. Yeah, I don't see them dropping too much. They're going to lose Perry, but he was more of a fourth-line guy. It's not going to really change what they were playing like. Radulov, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I'd go with Grandland. That'd be a good option. No one's really even shown interest in him, so I think his salary demands will go a lot lower than what he thought he was going to get. So maybe a one-year deal like two, two and a half million as a way to prove himself and then cash in after this year if he has a good year in Dallas. But uh, I wouldn't go too crazy with uh, the trades. You already have Heisken and Klingberg. Uh, you have all these young players that have kind of ramped up their development before anyone expected them to be in the league. So I think they're in a good position right now. Yeah, I, I you see like with... I had to ask that question because like I'm looking at their team and they have Heiskanen who's very great and he's young and you know you have like a couple bright spots like you have Dickinson who's he's looking like he's slowly starting to pan out same with Gurianov and like Rupe Hintz like these guys they're slowly looking like they're they could be key pieces to a team maybe not a championship team but to a team and you know Gudobin getting that three-year deal I think that's where they knew that something was wrong with Bishop. I think they looked at the free agency, like they looked at the market and they're like, well, realistically, we can't have Bishop's salary at like, what? I think he's getting, what, six mil? You can't have that salary and then you add another goaltender like Markstrom or Holpe for six 
mill. So like I see why they re-signed Gudobin for three years at like three million. I think that's a great move for them. But I I don't know, Alino. I I don't know if I agree with you. I think I think this is now they're looking at their their I guess window, and I think it's like Jamie Ben even knows. I think it's starting to close and. Especially with Sagan being out five months, this guy's already as well, already like twenty nine years old. Like time is flying by, and it's it's really sad to say because like this team, they've been so successful the last two three years, and just it's just been such a bad time for Bishop and Sagan. Especially now, the timing can't get any worse. But like I said, there are bright spots, but there's basically bright spots now on almost every team in the league. Like. If we were to talk about Ottawa, they just got Sanderson and Stutzel. If we were to go to L.A., you know, you talk about Byfield, and <laughs> that's basically it. But other than that, you know, there's, there's a few. I'd say most teams have at least a couple hot shot players. But, you know, you look at Dallas and the, the average age, I think they were relatively the oldest team in the league. And you're just looking at, it's like, okay, time is starting to tick. Like, Vegas is getting better by the day. The Blues stay, have stayed the, relatively the course. You know, you look at Vancouver, they're... Like Vancouver, yeah, Vancouver, Colorado are coming with full head of steam. So even Calgary, I think they're relatively better than Dallas. So I think this is now where you look at Dallas and it's like, well, you know what? Maybe the fairy tale is coming to an end now. And this is where, again, we just said about Mantha in a couple of years. I think this is now we, we got to start talking about Jamie Benn and Tyler Singh and potentially asking to be dealt. And maybe in a couple of years, if, if Dallas is really in the bottom of the basement, Maybe Amiro Heiskanen can maybe request a trade. So it's getting to that point where younger players are becoming a lot more vocal. We've seen it all the way back 2015 with Jack Eichel. So I think this is now where we're going to start seeing if you're 24, 25, and you've been on a losing team for four plus years, they're going to start being disgruntled and say, hey, you know what? My talent's being wasted here. I want to move. So I could see that happening, unfortunately, with the Dallas Stars. But moving on, I guess we've got to quickly talk about Hoffman and Granlin, two unreal offensive players. Both of them are probably the best available that are left in the free agent market. Both guys relatively haven't had a lot of buzz. Uh, I know, Pinello, you just said you could see Granlin on the stars. I relatively have said for a long time I could see Mike Hoffman be a great fit on the Edmonton Oilers, but they haven't bitten yet. Um, out of those two guys, who do you think is the more valuable, and who do you think would be the best fit for both guys? Ooh. All right. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll start with Hoffman just because goals are seems like the most valued thing right now. So I'll say Hoffman and I'll say Vancouver. Yeah, I like that up there with Pedersen. And uh, I think he could take Vertanen's spot on that top line. I think on that power play, it would just be absolutely filthy. And for a guy that can get you around 30 goals every year with all those young, talented forwards, why not? Yeah, uh, Hoffman, I would have said right away San Jose, but uh, his girlfriend or wife years ago put an end to that fucking scenario real quick, so that's not going to happen. Uh, probably L.A., though. Uh, you look at Kopitar, uh, that would be a good line, have a winger like him to come in the lineup. Uh, Byfield, if they want to have him already with an established score like uh, Hoffman, that would be something to look at. Or, like... Buffalo, that's the only other option. Buffalo has Hall for a year. Uh, he's already saying, or there's already reports coming out that 
by the deadline, if they're not a playoff team, which is probably going to be likely, they'll trade them. So if you're going to have Hoffman for more than one year over there as a nice security plan long-term, then uh, it might help them out in case Hall, you can't really trade them for anything. So I think those are the three uh, destinations. Yeah, you know what? What about your boy Gus Bus is out for like five or six months. Can you see Hoffman on Columbus? I easily could. I was I was gonna I was gonna say Columbus is a is a pretty admirable destination if I'm Mike Hoffman. I mean, you have the great coach in Tortorella. You have the number one center for the next seven plus in Dubois. You have Warensky and Seth Jones on the back end. Like even like you look at their goalies. Like you trade Bobrovsky and you think that like there's a monstrous hole there, and they have Merzlikens and Corpusalo who absolutely killed the Leafs. So if I'm Hoffman. Why not? Why not Columbus? Like they got a great player at each position. I know that their wingers are kind of they're a, they're a little yeah, it's a little hard. You know, I'm looking at the 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 depth chart right here. I have they have Liam Foodie on the second line, so that's not necessarily a, a good thing there. But I mean, Sonny Milano hasn't panned out. There's a lot of like Wenberg didn't pan out. So um, again, you got to blame that as well. But I really do like that idea, seeing maybe a Cam Atkinson maybe turn into a little more of a playmaker, and then you could have Mike Hoffman become the the main scorer on that team. But regardless, if you have Dubois with Mike Hoffman, that that spells disaster for teams like Philly and and whoever has to face Columbus the most. Because I'm still I'm still not sold on Columbus and guys saying that Columbus is like they're trash. Like they're not there. As long as you have Seth Jones or Rensky Dubois and those goalies doing what they did, they're not, they're not a bad team at all. They're not in a like, okay. Two years ago when they got rid of Duchesne, Bobrovsky and all those guys and Panarin, like in one shot, everyone just assumed, okay, like they're, they're done. Like this is it. They're rebuilding, they're folding. And all of a sudden, bam, they beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. In a qualifying round. I know, I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I brought it up. I'm sorry, but I had to bring it up. If Mike Hoffman were to go to Columbus, slate them in the sixth seed because I think Hoffman is that great of a player. And like you just said, Pinello, goal scoring really does matter. And I think Mike Hoffman could be a perfect fit. I'm still going with Edmonton because McDavid needs that winger. So uh, you know what? I'm just going to say Mike Hoffman. Forget everything I just said about Columbus. <laughs> Mike Hoffman on Edmonton has to happen for McDavid's sanity, please. Because that guy, I'm going to call it in two or three years, he's going to be on the phone saying, hey, hey, why are you not picking up? GM, pick up, please. I need to get out of here. I need to get out of Edmonton. So I, I really hope for, for McDavid's sake and for his sanity that they maybe sign Mike Hoffman. Yeah, they also have Domi there, so. At uh, Columbus, you put Domi at center, Boone Jenner at center, uh, Gus Bus when he comes back goes on the wing, Hoffman on the wing. There's three solid lines like that. Never thought of that one. It could be good. Like um, as good as they are, Columbus. I think they only had one thirty goal score last year, which is fucking really hard to believe. So like Hoffman really does make sense over there. Yeah, like you look like even okay, I know that they just re-signed Poliarvi and like approve it. Like you were in Finland, I think, for one year or the SHL wherever he played. But like you look at their their wingers and it's it's laughable. I'm sorry. Like Cassian and Yamamoto and guys like Chase Son and like Lucic and these guys are all well Lucic isn't there anymore, but oh, like James, those, yeah. 
Yeah, like James Neal. Like these guys are playing with Connor McDavid. Are you kidding me? Like you can't go out there and get one decent winger to play with them. Like you had to put Dry Sidle on the wing. Like, like that. Like to me, that was absurd. Even the fact that they traded uh, Taylor Hall. Like I know Shirelli, he doesn't have a job or anything right now, but like I'm just looking at like the formula to win, and you have a guy like a Connor McDavid, a Dry Sidle, even a Nugent Hopkins, and you can't get that winger. So I think like it's a layup. If it's if I'm Edmonton, it's a layup. Like I'm I'm on the phone and I'm calling I'm calling Hoffman and I'm like, hey, you know, you're playing with David. You know, maybe the salary will be a little bit off, but we'll give you the term. We'll give you maybe four point five to five million dollars and accept that deal. But again, we're in a, we're in times now where players are not taking pay cuts whatsoever, unless your name is Nathan McKinnon, because that's basically the only player that's done it. And it's it's sad to see. Like it's really sad. Like now we're looking at the Leafs and oh well, we gotta we gotta start asking questions about Morgan Riley. Well, what what's he gonna get in his next contract? Is he gonna get nine mil? Is he gonna walk because we have no salary cap? Like these are the things we gotta ask because guys like Marner, Tavares, and Matthews are getting over ten million. So that is my little rant. I'm gonna stick with that. Hoffman on the Edmonton Oilers, but. I quickly want to discuss two teams, and I want to compare these two teams because they're relatively going in the same, relatively in the same direction. Who do you think has the better core of players, the Philadelphia Flyers or the Vancouver Canucks? Oh my God, I hate that one. I, I kind of have them the same. Uh, like their defense, like Quinn Hughes, I think. Could be one of the best defensemen in the league easily in a couple of years, if not already, but could be talking about him. Uh, their forwards are really good. Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, Patterson. Like, these are elite guys. I think Horvat's a guy that came in the Vancouver Canucks organization a lot earlier than what people have probably slotted him in for playing with the Sedins. I think he adapted well. So, uh, yeah, I don't see it being too far off of a like one's better than the other i think i have them around the same even a net to damco uh carter hart and philly i think they match up well i'm taking the flyers by a fucking hair i think carter hart's the <laughs> i think carter hart's the deciding factor there i think provorov i don't you say what you want about him now they're both sensational young players. I think Provorov is better than Hughes. It will be for the next 10 years. They got uh, Sean Couturier over there. Yep, too bad. Don't care. You heard it. Oh, yeah. You're going Couturier over Pedersen? Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) At this exact moment, yeah. Going forward, probably not. But um, the, the Flyers just have a lot more, and I think Provorov and Hart are the deciding factors there. Those are the fucking pillars on your team going forward. Yeah, so, you know, uh, oh you know my what? god, it's so close though. Yeah, I got I got to give myself a pat on the back. That was a good comparison right there. Like, because I was thinking of like you have Demko and Hart, and those are probably going to be two Vesna candidates for like years on years. You have Quinn Hughes and Provorov. I guess those are the two guys you kind of compare. Provorov's the better two way defenseman, but I think Quinn Hughes has that star power that Provorov just lacks a little bit. Like Provorov is going to be. If not, I think he's probably better than Wierenski, but like Quinn Hughes, what we saw this year, oh my God, like the wow factor is there. And Provorov, like 
the only thing that I like, Pinello, I agree when you say Pro Rob is going to be better than Hughes. I kind of agree with you because if they didn't have Ghost and Sanheim, Pro Rob would probably be getting like 65 points and putting up, you know, the minutes that he plays around 26 minutes. Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. That's very, 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 very elite. But then I look at the forwards and I look at Brock Besser and I look at the trajectory that he's actually taken. And it's not like. Like, Quinn Hughes had an absolutely monumental rookie year. Like, he was breaking records. Him and McCarr were going back and forth all year. Brock Besser's rookie year was sensational. But again, there was a guy in the league in that same rookie year. His name was Austin Matthews. He got 40 goals, four in his first ever NHL game. So a lot of people forget about how great Besser's rookie year was. I think he went into the All-Star game and won the All-Star game MVP as a rookie. He won a damn car, for God's sake. So Brock Besser could be a star in this league. Pedersen is easily, to me, the best player and the most important player on the on the Vancouver Canucks. If not right now, it's probably Bo Horvat, but I think Pedersen will be that guy. But, man, like I think these two teams moving forward, they're going to be absolutely deadly. But I guess this is, I guess, where I got to conclude the question, and I got to say, out of these two teams, guys, the next 10 years, who gets the more cups? Both tied of zero. <laughs> zero Vegas will get seven. The least will get three. <laughs> the next seven cups in a row will be Vegas versus um, the Leafs, and they're going to do a huge movie series on that. Seven straight years. The Vegas conference finals, six years in a row. Like okay, like I'm thinking of teams like in the Eastern conference that have the build and the structure of Philly. And like, there's only like maybe two or three teams that I can see taking out Philly. So this is why when they came in first this year, I was kind of surprised. Cause I'm looking at the team and I'm like, they're good, but they're not first place. They're not a first place team in the East, especially with Tampa there and Boston there. And they finished in first. And I'm like, you know what? I'm looking at like, I'm looking at their forwards. I'm looking at their D I'm looking at their goalie. I'm like, forget this year. How about like the next five years? They're going to be running it. And then I look at Carolina and they're basically in the same boat. Like all they need is that goalie. And then they're rolling. Like they have Aho, Svechnikov. They have Pesci, Slavin, Hamilton. Like it's ridiculous. Like these teams are so, so undervalued, especially a team like Carolina where the last two – deep playoff runs that they've had, everyone has called it being a fluke and being lucky. I don't think that's the case at all. I've said this, I think, to you guys time and time again. I think Svechnikov and Aho are going to be one of the best duos in the league if they aren't already. So I think Carolina and Philly, I think they have the brightest future when I look at everything that they have. And this is me being a biased Leaf fan. I'll maybe put the least four or five. But man, what Philly and Carolina have and what they've built is certainly something special. And I got to say the same for Vancouver. I'm going to show love to those two teams always. I love the story. But I guess with that being said, I don't know, Alino, if you want to take it to the ring, if there's really anything interesting, I don't know. It's up to you, but I want you to close it out. All right, we'll go one ring question here. Uh, AEW is going to have their pay-per-view on Saturday, full gear. I think the only match I think I really care about, Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, like they have Eddie Kingston versus John Moxie, but even if you look online, I don't think too many people give a fuck. Uh, we'll go with this. <laughs> Omega versus Hangman. Uh, should Kenny 
win this decisively and uh, take the title off John Moxley, or do you go with Hangman? Start her off. I'm going with Kenny Omega, but that is me being very, 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 very biased. I've been saying this for years now, and it's crazy because this they've already had an they've already had a company for a year and a half. So since Kenny Omega's been there, he really hasn't had that monumental pay-per-view win. I think this is where it begins. I think this is where Kenny Omega finally, you know, he turned. I think he's going to beat Hangman Page here. I wouldn't say convincingly, but I think it's going to be like a okay, like we got to put Hangman over and we got to make we got to make him look very strong, but Kenny Omega is definitely the superior here. I think he's like you look at like especially now with Cody Rhodes coming back, I think you look at Kenny Omega and it's like, you know, John Moxley beat the, one of the top heels in MJF. He's basically beaten everybody. I think Kenny Omega is the perfect fit to to dethrone John Moxley, and we've talked about this time and time again with main title reigns. It doesn't really matter like who you are. If you're going to go out there and you're going to you're going to basically go through the motions, your title reign is not going to be meaningful, and I'm sorry I'm I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but John Moxley since he's won the title from Jericho, I haven't really seen anything um, from him that screams championship. Like, you're the top, top guy in AEW. So I think if Kenny Omega were to do that, uh, it, uh, you know, you start by beating Hangman Page in a really significant singles match, and then you have him beat John Moxley, I think that's the perfect approach because John Moxley being this tweener or badass face, you know, holding the AEW title... I think it's it's been a little bit. I think it's been stale. I'm not gonna say like it's been stale recently. It's been stale for months now. So I think this is where they finally need to hit the restart. You have maybe a heel cleaner win the title, hold it for a bit, and then maybe you can elevate a top babyface and maybe Darby Allen. You mentioned Sting maybe being in his corner. So maybe down the line you could have Darby Allen and Sting face off against a heel and Kenny Omega. Maybe he'll have someone a legend in his corner. I don't know, but. I want to see Kenny Omega dethrone John Moxley. That's absolutely what I think needs to happen in AEW. Just love how it's at full gear now. Yeah, I think Kenny's gonna take it. If like if the first year of the, their company should be remembered for like anything, it's probably this feud. Um, like just the roller coaster of um, them becoming tag champions and then splitting up and then getting into this feud together and then it's all gonna pay off at full gear. So. I'll give it to Kenny. I love the transition back into the cleaner over the last little while, just recently. But um, yeah, this is obviously this should steal the show. So I'm gonna go with Kenny Omega finally taking the AEW World Championship. I like it, and uh, I guess Chris, you brought that up there about staying. Like, is this what the company should be doing? Another no. legend, another sixty-year-old. <laughs> you do it? <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, we we've talked about this like a year ago when they actually first became a company like don't don't do the same thing wwe does like we talk about like we always used to like we still do like we we talk about nostalgia mania and like bringing back all these old guys and like it's one thing if like sting's just gonna come back for like that one pay-per-view and like promote the shit out of the company like what bret hart did and and all those guys but like if these guys are gonna come here and like steal like manager spotlights and like steal spots from like really, really good athletic wrestlers, because we all know AEW, they have unreal wrestlers, then I'm saying no. But I mean, if this is to elevate Darby Allen to that main event level, then sure. But I mean, you really don't need Sting, I don't think. That's just my opinion. Like you have Jake the Snake there. 
Cody Rhodes, like he's been there, you know, Goldust is there. I don't really see a huge, huge, huge need for Sting going to AEW. Ah, shit. It's basically WCW. Throw him in there might as well. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am with you, though. Like, uh, I don't, I don't want to see him lace him up. If he's outside fucking cheering on Darby Allen, you know, boosting his career, then that's awesome for him. Other than that, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't want to see him uh, take any hard bumps because uh, Seth put an end to that. I don't want to see him uh, be in a wheelchair by taking the wrong buckle bomb or take a fucking dive like Matt Hardy took. So on the outside of the ring with the sunglasses on, the dark shades, maybe a little bit of face paint, I'm all good. But in the ring, let's uh, put that behind you and uh, call it a career. Like, I'm not trying to bash Sting or, like, compare him to, like, this guy that I'm going to bring up and you guys are going to die. But, like, Goldberg and Sting have been floating around for freaking two decades. And they haven't really – they don't have a lot to show for it, to show for their significance the last two decades. So, like, it, it makes sense. Like, okay, Sting came back. <laughs> he came back in 2015 for his little hoorah, his little parade, whatever, face Triple H – lost i don't know why the fuck he lost that match but that's for another day and then he faces seth rollins and seth rollins looks at probably hunter or vince and is like am i actually facing sting for the wwe title like what the hell's going on here and then the same damn thing happens you know what i can't talk about i'm gonna start yelling and swearing so just this whole thing with sting and goldberg sticking around for the last like five six years just pisses me off because like they have no business being in like this, the positions that they've been in, like especially you're telling me in February of 2020, after the year and the debut that we saw of the fiend, you're telling me that like, if you told me, Oh yeah, Goldberg's beating the fiend. <laughs> like he comes out, he comes out and beats him because Roman Reigns can't compete at WrestleMania. And it's like, well, wh- why Goldberg? Cause he has the same finisher as him. Is that really why? Like what, what was the premise of that? So if Sting were to come back to AEW, here's my point. So if Sting were to come back to AEW, my whole thing is don't fucking make it about yourself. Don't groom your ego anymore. Just go out there and just cheer on Darby Allen or cheer on Jim. I know it's probably not going to be Havoc, but if it's going to be Havoc, you cheer him on and you just go with the flow. Because you know what? This is where you're at your age now. The egos put them at the door. Because you don't deserve another major title. I'm done with that. <laughs> Take us home. <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, we'll end it there. We'll maybe see the stinger in the rafters. WC. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see him uh, help Darby take it off uh, Cody. But, uh, yeah, I want to see the cleaner. Uh, get that number one contender spot, win the title. We'll see where Hoffman goes by next week. Maybe he'll still be unsigned and looking for $1 million paydays. And uh, we'll see where this NBA uh, restart free agency and draft takes us. But uh, that's all for this week. Remember, if you want to check out our other episodes, look down, scroll, subscribe, leave a comment, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We're uh, signing off for this week's episode. We'll see you next week.